What's up, everybody? The podcast, according to sources, right here. A2S Network. We are on Facebook Live. You can check us out. Go follow us right now. A2S Pod 1. A2S Pod 1. That's on Twitter and Instagram. I have my guys with me. And my three-man weave each and every week, Brian Crawford, WJTV, TV producer down there. Jackson Miss. Hey, if anybody's looking for a gig down at the anchor, I know you just lost a couple of anchors to Myth Town, didn't you? Sports, yeah, but we, yeah. you know, we good. It's 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 a good opportunity for. I'm happy she's from she's from Atlanta, so you know, bigger market. You can't beat that. So that's yeah. dope. Yeah, and also my guy C Chris Case and C Four Dunk, C Four Man. The pieces you've been writing, whether it's GQ or Forbes, you know, keeping people in tune, especially from health standpoint and talking about the players and what they were going through in the bubble have been phenomenal. Uh, anything else in the works? Uh, currently not now, but that's always subject to change, you know, within the blink of an eye. Yeah. All right. So let's start it out. Each and every week we start it out. I'm going to go ahead, throw this bounce pass to C4 for his opening layup. What's on your mind? Uh, definitely. I think we need to start giving a lot more credit to uh, Eric Spolstra uh, than Miami Heat. Um I think when the talk of like the league's best coaches, we always mention, you know, like a Brad Stevens, you know, even Nick Nurse now, but we always kind of, you know, leave out Eric Spolster because I think we always just look at the height of his success came with, you know, the big three there, like 2010 with LeBron, D-Wade and Chris Bosh. But you look at, I would say the last six seasons, what he's been able to do with like some, I don't want to say deplorable rosters, but just rosters with like a bunch of like guys that have been, you know, found from like the D League, the G League, and just like kind of cast offs what they've been able to do and still being able to instill their culture while doing that has been remarkable. And now you look at what they've done to start this playoffs, the 7 and 0, basically have the, the league's best team on the ropes you know, fighting for their playoff lives, you know, down 3-0. And, you know, I just think, like, more talk and more, like, praise needs to be thrown, like, towards Eric Spolster's way. I don't think he gets enough credit. All right. Take that out the hoop. We're going the other way. Throw this behind-the-back pass to my guy Brian Crawford. His opening layup. What's on your mind, BC? Uh, What's on my mind? Not much, man. I just thought it was funny, you know, how LeBron let Jay Williams get under his skin the other day. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. He took he took that Pippen comment a little personal. So, you know, with everything else that was, that was talked about with LeBron last week, I thought that was like a nice little icing on the cake that you, let th- that you let this dude get under your skin. So, Yeah, I was surprised at that too. I was surprised because I thought normally LeBron goes uh, – what's it called? What does he call it? Zero Dark 30 during the playoffs? Right, during the playoffs, oh, right. Yeah, but I guess that changes when you're in the bubble and you don't really have nothing else to do, you know, down there. Yeah, I'll do Scotty Pippen. And you like that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, man, because the whole Pippen thing started between Scotty Pippen and Richard Jefferson as far as tweets and uh, all Jay Williams. 
uh, I guess was the one that jumped it off with his comment. And then uh, Scotty Pippen replied to that. Although it was Richard Jefferson and Scotty Pippen. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was Richard Scottie Jefferson. Pippen was, was uh, yeah. res responding to Richard Jefferson. And eventually Richard Jefferson, not only on Twitter, but on ESPN, just came back and was like, hey, you right? Like, man, who was I? Like, in comparison to you, nah, I was nothing. So he took his foot off the throttle and hit the brakes quickly. Once yeah, Scotty so. yeah, there's nothing you can say. No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> Man, speaking of the uh, NBA playoffs, man, we, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but in spite of everything that's been going on, I would venture to say, man, that the product that the NBA has been able to serve consumers and fans, man, has been pretty good. And uh, the Toronto-Boston series, Chris, let's get into that series, man. Very interesting. Toronto saved its season the other night. Uh, Boston had the ball, tie game. They're winding the clock down, and Akimba winds through, just weaves through the defense, and man throws a sweet dime to Daniel Tice. No luck. With 0.5 seconds left, the Raptors get the ball, man, and uh, yeah, this is what happens. Boston is going to zone up here on the side out of bounds they're going to be switching everything back here marcus smart's going to stay up high taking anybody coming to the ball series on the line adenomi got it off and it goes did it count is the question og adenomi buries a triple at the buzzer just an absolutely great pass by kyle lowry Hey, you see that at the end of the clip, because I know C4, this is something you want to touch on. Uh, Pascal Siakam kind of gave like the, the exhale, you know, after that went in. And they're all jumping there like, oh, my God, he saved me because I was going to have a lot of slander come my way if we went down 0-3 in this series. Your guys' thoughts, man. C4, we talked about it via text early in the week. I just thought Boston was a bad matchup for Toronto because Toronto usually has the length athleticism advantage on everybody else. But – how is this series going? Are you surprised that Boston seems to be able to handle them? Uh, yeah, a little bit surprised that they were pretty much just dominated, you know, the first two games the way they had and, you know, basically had the game sealed, you know, for game three. You know, hell of a pass by Kyle Lowry over a 7-4 taco fall for a 7-6, however tall he is. And the fact that OG was able to, you know, go baseline without nobody picking him up and, you know, still being able to get in Kyle's view of that pass and Kyle having to loft that pass, you know, over the outstretched hands of Taco Fall. But, um, yeah, I've been a little bit surprised that Boston was able to dominate the first two games the way they, they were. And I think game three, Toronto made some adjustments. But, you know, still, I mean, they have no answer for Tatum. Marcus Smart went off. Uh I think game game two, I want to say, where he hit like five three pointers in the um, in the fourth quarter. But he's actually been like kind of an unsung hero in this whole series because I don't really think he's on the the scouting report is on Marcus Smart is the same as it is on Lou Dort from Oklahoma City. They want him shooting those outside shots, but he's making them now. So that's kind of throwing a monkey wrench and things right there, and that basically 
causes guys to have to run out run out at him if he's making those shots, and that opens things up for Tatum. They open things up for Jalen Brown, and it forces you to have to guard guys one on one. And nobody can cover Kemba one on one. Nobody can cover Tatum one on one or Jalen Brown. So um, I'm interested to see what happened today, what type of adjustments they make, but. Um, that game three loss, you know, has the potential to be like a momentum shift there for Toronto. DC, do you feel like the series has shifted in, in the way of Toronto? I mean, I don't know, man. I think, you know, that was a good shot. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Um, you know, I do think it's a tough matchup for them, but I expect Toronto to be a little bit more competitive, um, you know, than what we've seen. I think, I think, Siakam is obviously the key. He hasn't been able to do anything in the series, not make a you know a big impact. And Fred VanVleet, you know, seems to be you know getting back into his rhythm. The only thing that worries me about that is like playoff Kyle Lowry. He could be really, really bad in the postseason. So you got to watch out for that. But I mean, I think if they can kind of straighten those things out, I think this next game will be a little bit more competitive. And you know, I think they could potentially you know get back in it. Yeah, you pointed out something about Pascal Siakam. I said there at the end of the uh, video we showed that it seemed like he had a relief, you know, right there that, man, slander can't come my way. I saved myself for another day. C4, you pointed out one of the best, uh, biggest contributions in this series is the defense that's been played on him by Jalen Brown. Yeah, I think Jalen Brown is basically, when you look at a guy who's playing the same position, as you, that touting him as one of the best at that position, he got more money than you. You basically take it. I think that's all in the back of Jalen Brown's head. Like basically, oh, this is this is a dude. All right, watch this. So that plays a part into it. And you know, Siakam. This is once again, this is his first go around as like the guy, as the number one option after you know a title last season. You know, with Kawhi being the number one. So this is still uncharted territory for him. He was used to being like a fixture or, you know, a complimentary piece. Now he's the guy where you're counting on him night in, night out. Hey, we need, you know, 25, eight and six here, like from you consistently, even more so now in the postseason. So uh, it's an adjustment for him. So, I mean, he's going to have to step it up. Yeah, we go to the other series in the Eastern Conference playoffs and we see that Milwaukee, they looked pretty good for three quarters. They went to the fourth quarter yesterday with an 11-point lead on the Miami Heat before the Heat went on a big-time run. And what Miami's been able to do to be up three-zip in this series, I think is surprising to everybody, even though Miami is 5-1, and one, I believe, against Milwaukee this year and, and matchups. So uh, I want to listen to Jimmy Butler, who has some interesting comments uh, post-game yesterday explaining why everything works for him in Miami. Because they believe in what I believe in. And that's telling the truth, being honest, working hard every single day, and um, that we can beat anybody. We can compete with anybody. Um, we don't ever play to lose, ever. We will not do that here. It's, it's not the heat way. And everybody here believes in that, man. So it works. Uh, a lot of people feeling good about Jimmy Butler on social media after the first three games, especially after he dropped that 40 in the first game to pretty much dominate the fourth quarter and jump the series off of the Miami Heat. 
even more than Jimmy, because we know how Jimmy is. He's straightforward, mm-hmm. hard nosed, wants everybody to go and grind and work as hard as he does. And he's going to tell the truth. But that's the Miami way. That's been the Miami way. Mm-hmm. Even going back to when they had Tim Hardaway and Alonzo Mourning and those guys. And then they bring in D Wade and that crew and win a championship with Shaq and even to the Heatles when they came there. And, you know, Pat Riley is the cornerstone of that franchise. Mm-hmm. Hard nose, up front, going to tell you the truth. And that's what, to me, makes it easy for Jimmy Butler to be himself. Not so much the players around him, but the foundation of that organization of what Pat Riley is set in place. Because it was Pat Riley that went hard at LeBron when he chose to go back to Cleveland and said, hey, when you lose, you don't run from the fight. So that's just the type of mindset that exists in the Miami Heat organization. And it turns out to be a great fit and looks to be a great fit and uh, a success for the Miami Heat. Yeah, I mean, and it's, uh, I've said this before. I mean, this is one hell, hell of an uh, audition, you know, for Giannis, just for him to see. Like, all those guys uh, with Miami, one thing they do, all everybody pulls in one direction. You know, any guy that's not pulling in that direction, they get they get them out of there quickly. You look at the issues Deion Waiters had there. Uh, James Johnson not coming into camp in shape. All right, all right stay home. Stay home. Don't come to camp. Get in yeah. shape, then come back here and holler at us. So, I mean, that's been ingrained in them since Pat Riley, you know, got to Miami in South Beach. And it's just a perfect fit for Jimmy because I think Jimmy's somewhat – his reputation is somewhat unfair because I think if you're if you're around grown men, your goal is to win, and you know you see something wrong or somebody's not doing something, you should be able to tell that guy he's not doing something wrong. Whether that's I think it it, it should be it should happen behind closed doors, but you should be able to as a man, as a competitor, be able to take that dialogue and be like okay, I can be better because this is a guy who's worked his way up to get to where he's at, top 15, top 10, whatever, you know, you want to consider him. So he looks at if a guy with twice as much talent as I have, like, isn't working this hard, like, it's a problem. So I think he's just a perfect fit down there in Miami. And it's no surprise to me at all that things have worked the way that they have so far. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, Miami is kind of like Jimmy and, you know, and the fact that Miami is really, you know, kind of a small market, but it obviously, you know, is a, you know, it has a bigger presence than that. And and Jimmy is kind of the same way. You know, he's a, he's, he's still kind of underrated, even though he does have a big, you know, sort of kind of like a big name in the league. But, you know, everywhere he goes, he's going to do the same thing. He's going to play hard. He's going to work hard. And, you know, he's in a, he's in a situation where, that particular culture has already been established. So he could just fit right in and, you know, yeah. and everybody knows what it is when they walk in the door. So perfect situation for him. I'm not surprised he's having success down there. Yeah. It's amazing. You look at the effort that they're putting forth against Milwaukee. What is the one thing that sticks out about that series? Like what is the one thing that you watch that series and say, Milwaukee has absolutely zero answer for. Uh well point it's it's the way they play defense. They would rather you they would rather protect the paint and kind of like give up the three. But when you're playing against I think Miami may be top two or top three in terms of like team three point 
uh, field goal percentage, I think 38, 39%. You can't do that. You got guys like Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, you know, lighting it up there. And then just like fourth quarter execution, when you're only able to muster 13 points in game three, Jimmy had 17 points, you know, by himself uh, in the fourth quarter. That's been like staggering to me. And even um, like just the lack of, being able to create easy things for Giannis in um, this situation. Cause this isn't a situation now where he can bring the ball up and, you know, just barrel his way to the rim because they're going to overload, you know, whatever side that he has the ball. So the fact that you don't have some type of set to get him some stuff, like where he's catching the ball on the move, like that's been surprising to me. So uh, not only is Miami getting out coached, they're getting out tough and out hustled and, I mean, I don't see them winning like a game in this series just with how these first three games are going. I think that game two was like a heartbreaker just in terms of like those last two calls. I think their morale was a little bit broken, but being down 3-0 now and now you're playing to fight just to stay alive, you know, just for another game or two is completely different from actually believing that you're going to win the series. Hey, BC, the weight of this series, I think everybody in Milwaukee knew coming into the season that this was a win or bust season with the pending free agency of Giannis. You throw in what's going on in Kenosha and how Milwaukee and that team got involved. Like the weight of everything that's going on, is it making an impact on this team when it comes to the series? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think everybody is playing under you know, a, a certain amount of Wait, when it comes to, you know, social justice issues. I mean, this particular situation is happening in Kenosha, which is not far from, you know, Milwaukee. And obviously the Buffalo, like they had to take the lead on that, which is understandable. But I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think, you know, just basketball-wise, it's a bad matchup. Uh, Miami, I mean, Milwaukee, they don't they don't have any shooters. They can't match Miami's speed. Um, and so they can't dictate the pace. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, everybody knows that those other guys really can't beat you. Like, you know, if you slow down, I mean, even if you let Giannis get what he wants to, you know, get what he wants to get, those other guys can't beat you. Yeah. Chris Middleton is okay, but, you know, he he's not going to beat you. Um, Eric Besso is good, but he's hurt a lot, and he's not going to beat you. And obviously, you know, no, you can't name anybody else on that team. So, I mean, it's just, it's just personnel-wise, it's just a bad matchup. They just – Milwaukee just don't have enough. And for, you know, if they can't dic- dictate the pace of the game, then they definitely can't play at Miami's pace, and that's why they're losing. So you talk about that. Can Giannis uh, get the same excuse that LeBron got for years in the Eastern Conference, that he doesn't have enough help? No, nah, nobody ever get that. That's baked in to LeBron. Yeah, that's been, that's been ingrained in LeBron since 16. So I don't yeah, think nobody's All right, gonna, he's the only one who gets that. Podcast according to sources. I got my guys Brian Crawford, Chris Kaysen. Before we get to a little bit of uh, Chicago Bulls talking the head coaching search, Western Conference, any surprises in game one between Houston? I, I pretty much knew after that game seven and getting away from Dort, I pretty much expected that uh, James Hart would go bananas <laughs> in game one, seeing Caldwell Pope and Danny Green uh, on the defensive end. But I did not expect Eric Gordon and Russell Westbrook to also go off simultaneously. Uh, do you see them having a good shot, a puncher's chance of upsetting the Los Angeles Lakers? 
or do you see the Lakers being able to adjust and kind of take control of the series as it goes along? Uh, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I don't trust you know me. I don't trust James Harden. So, the longer this, you know, the, the longer this series goes and the bigger the games get, that's when I don't trust James Harden. So, I mean, I don't, you know, obviously they, they squeezed by in the last series, which they probably shouldn't have. Um, you know, the Lakers, they had a lot of time off, so it was going to take them a little bit to kind of get back, you know, get back into the swing of things. Um, I don't know. Do they have a chance? I guess so, but like I said, it, it remains to be seen. Like, both of these teams, like, I don't believe they can win until I see it. So, it can go either way from me. Hey, man, your theory all along has been that James Harden shaves points. And that game seven, <laughs> if you're going to pick a game to say this is the example, I think the uh, – what was the the line on that game? was five and a half? Four and a half. Four and a half, right. <laughs> and you see – yeah, but that. I mean, I've been, hey, I've been saying that, man. I'm gonna stand on that. I don't even really care. Like, I, it's something up with that dude. You can't tell me that. The the bigger the games get, the worse he plays. I just don't believe that. And it's like it's just been consistent, like across his career. I've been watching. So, C four for you. What do you need to see from the Lakers moving forward? Oh, uh, well, I think the first game, just like like BC said, they had such an extended. You know, they had a little bit of extended time off. I mean, you had Houston kind of already, like, just in the rhythm of playing. Um, and like you said, not having, like, a guy like Lou Dort, somebody who's tasked specifically with, you know, hitting James off the ball, somebody who's physically a lot bigger than them and stronger than them. You don't have a guy like that leaning up on you and basically pressuring you full court now. And now you got, you know, Kyle Kuzma, Danny Green, and – you know, Caldwell Pope lining up against you. He's licking his chops now. Right. I think the Lakers will get adjusted to, you know, their speed. And I think the one thing the Lakers will probably look to do is just slow the pace down because they cannot get into a track meet with Houston at all, especially with Houston playing small. And I do eventually think once slowing the pace down and, you know, you utilizing their, their um, the size advantage they have is going to be critical. I mean, but props to P.J. Tucker. I mean, for a guy that I remember having a phone conversation yesterday and one of my boys bringing up just the fact that P.J. Tucker is going to have to guard Anthony Davis. He's 6'5". I was like, yeah, P.J. Tucker is also like 245, though. I mean, Anthony Davis camp probably isn't any more than 255 at that. So it's not really – he's not really moving him in terms of posting up. You're just hoping you're able to shoot up on him. But P.J. has been very good at moving his feet. Playing against LeBron, he moved his feet very well. So I, I give Houston a puncher's chance. This, I just think that, you know, having a guy like LeBron, somebody who's used to dictating the pace, is just going to come around there. So I see the Lakers winning this in six games. All right, let's go to the other side of the bracket in the Western Conference. You got Denver facing off against the Los Angeles Clippers. And we saw Denver come through an epic seven-game series against Utah where they had to come back from down – won three in that series to ultimately win, win game seven. And we saw two teams in game seven that were just exacerbated, like yeah. exhausted isn't even the yeah. word. Yeah, you just saw it. And, I mean, they both were giving effort, especially on the defensive end, but offensively. They were gassed. They were gassed. And Jamal Murray and the show he put on, and uh, even Donovan Mitchell, the show he put on in that series. And they guarded each other. It was just a really classic playoff matchup. 
and I was pleased to watch it and be able to experience it. And then in the postgame, after game seven, Jamal Murray was told or reminded that he had to be back in 48 hours. He was like, well, we don't get two days off. Like, no, no, it's not the typical playoff schedule, my friend. You're right back at it 40 hours, 48 hours later against the Clippers that arrested. Congratulations to Montrez Harrell, sixth man of the year. Uh, he gave a lot of love to his teammate Lou Williams for taking him under his wing and showing him a lot. But uh, for the Clippers, man, can we all just agree the Clippers are going to win this series? I don't see anything that Denver could do to really put up much of a fight. Maybe they get a game. And it really just, uh, for me, I'm just going to watch as uh, BC loves to call them. I'm going to watch and see if playoff P shows up or pop, or pop that P shows up. Pop that P. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I ain't hear that nickname. <laughs> I, I, gave, I gave it to him like last week because you know it kind of, it kind of lines up with everything else he got going on in his life. <laughs> so. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much it, man. Which P is gonna show up for the Clippers in this series and moving forward in the Western Conference Finals and even the NBA Finals? Will it be playoff P or will it be pop that P? The podcast sources, man. Let's get into some bulls. Let's talk about this bulls head coach search. And I want you guys to check this out. Uh, bulls talk podcast, NBC Sports Chicago. And um, Casey Johnson was joined by Chris Mannix from the bubble. And he asked him pretty much, you know, what's the vibe surrounding this bulls head coaching's position down in the bubble? Yeah, being down in Orlando, it gets talked about a lot. This bulls job, they're you know, I've heard from a lot of executives that believe that Arturis has a strong idea of who he wants to hire and uh, just is keeping it kind of under his hat for right now. But they'll they'll be going through the motions of of, of interviewing and are going through the motions of interviewing uh, different guys. But I know there are a lot of a lot of top level assistant coaches that really like this job. I think Steve Silas is a strong candidate, the assistant coach with the Dallas Mavericks. He has been a head coaching candidate before and has a really strong reputation for player development. And the aforementioned Kenny Atkinson, I mean, this is me just more talking, Casey, but like, why is, I don't know why this isn't a no-brainer. I mean, you have a Bulls team that has a lot of young players that need to be developed. Hands down, Kenny Atkinson is the best development coach available. Now, we can nitpick and argue, if you want, about whether Kenny is like enough of an X's and O's coach to take a team to a championship level, but you know, that's like, am I able to date a supermodel? Like, I'm not on that level. Like, it's just like you're trying to get to point B before you get to point C, and Kenny Atkinson is that guy that can take you there. I think, I just think it's it should be an easy call in my mind that Kenny Atkinson, uh, you, all the support should be thrown behind him, and he should be the next Bulls coach. Yeah, I was shocked to hear that, that he had that much confidence in Kenny Atkinson being the obvious choice for the Chicago Bulls head coaching search and head coaching position. I mean, you're talking about Wes Unsell, Junior Darvin, Ham, Dan Craig, Stephen Silas, Jamal Mosley, Ime Udoka, and uh, also some in-house, the Roy Rogers, uh, some in-house assistants getting a look from AK and Mark Eversley. So what do you think about that? Is it a slam dunk for you guys that Kenny Atkinson should get this position? I mean, if you want somebody with experience, then he's the guy out there. You know, the other thing he said was, if it's not going to be somebody like Kenny Anderson, it's going to be like a, a top-level assistant. So you're going to have somebody coming in who's never been a head coach before. So 
I mean, it, it depends on the direction the Bulls want to go. Like, if they want to get in a situation where they want to, you know, have a guy come in who has, you know, shown he can get the team to the playoffs, then, yeah, you go with Kenny Atkinson. But if you feel like, you know, you need somebody who's going to have to come in and, you know, work work and develop guys and make them better, and while also becoming better as coaches, and you're going to take a slower, you know, slower approach, then you go get one of those assistants. It just really depends on what they want to do. You know, what what does – this particular regime want to do? Do they want to compete right away, or do they want to build, you know, build something for the next several years? So, I mean, I'd be fine with Kenny Atkinson. Um, you know, I, I'm always going to lean towards the guy with experience, but you know, we'll see what happens. I, I mean, I don't. It doesn't really matter, you know, because at this point they don't have a coach, and anybody that they get is going to be better than what they had the last two times. So that's how I see it. Well, from the names that we're hearing, we keep hearing developmental, developmental. And that seems to see the, be the direction they want to go is look at this young roster, believe in their young talent, and try to develop them to see how far they can get the organization. So for you, C4, Kenny Atkinson, is that the guy or is that somebody else that's higher on your list that you feel like can connect with these young players? Yeah, I mean, that goes into, like, what do you want this developmental fit? How long do you, like, forecast this developmental phase is this a two to three two to four you know year process do you want do you think this team is good enough to you know be competing for the postseason just yet and but i do agree that ak probably has like one to you know three guys in his head that you know he's already pretty much considering you know as the coaches and it's just all about you know the interview process and how well that goes now uh, one person that I think they should interview probably won't happen because I don't see him. Uh, I can see him making this his first um, option as terms of like this being the first coaching experience he gets is Chauncey Billups. When you're talking about a guy who would demand respect and a guy who's would be a player coach, he's a guy that I think will come in here, demand the respect of players. Um, but like I said, this all goes back into what we – what they want this developmental phase, how long they expect it to last. Is this a two to three year process? Is this a four to five year process? Because, you know, you look at Kenny Atkinson's tenure in Brooklyn, wasn't really that long. And, you know, when you saw what happened when they, you know, got close to getting those two big stars, he was out the door. So, yeah, it just all depends on what the forecast is. And it's amazing you talk about that because, as I said before, the list of candidates clearly shows, in my opinion, the direction that they want to go. Uh, we know that they would love to probably get Otto Porter's contract off the books. They probably are looking at some type of big-time free agent next year during the offseason to add to the roster. But right now, it definitely looks like they want to look at Kobe White, Laurie Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr., Zach Levine, and that young core and they say, yo, let's develop these guys, try to mesh them together, and see if we can make the playoffs. That's the first step. See if we can make the playoffs with these young guys. Hopefully they can stay healthy, and hopefully they can give us a playoff-worthy season uh, next year. So it should be pretty interesting. Is there anybody else? You talked to the story did break. I think that was Thursday the story broke that Chauncey Billups was interesting and beginning to uh, – people were beginning to vet him for head coaching uh, positions. We know he said no to the GM position in Cleveland, uh, LeBron's last year there, obviously because he saw the situation and he knew what it was. And everyone thought that's the route he wanted to go initially. 
Do you think he really is interested in coaching or is he using this as a stepping stone to ultimately get into the front office? Mm, I don't know. It, I mean, Chauncey could go either way. You know, he can, you know, he could he could sit down in those, you know, in those rooms and have, you know, and, and, and take those meetings and put his basketball mind on display in terms of, you know, how to build a team and, you know, how to put the right pieces in place as a general manager. But then also he's a point guard, you know what I'm saying? And and if he if he has the time and the mentality and basically the patience to kind of work with young guys and develop and turn them into something, you know, he can go that route too. It just really depends on what he wants to do because he can really do both. Like he's 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 a very smart guy in terms of X's and O's and being able to, you know, put people in the right place to succeed, I think, as a coach. And then he also knows how to build, you know, I think he knows how to build a team because he's played on, you know, obviously championship teams and things like that. And, you know, he's a guy who didn't have success right away as a player, but then kind of he found his niche and, you know, and I think he could encourage a lot of young guys to kind of, you know, who would be in a similar position, like high draft picks, guys who don't make a big splash right away, but who just keep working. And I think Chauncey comes with that as well. And I think, you know, you got a lot of those players like that on the bull. So, um, I don't know. Chauncey could do whatever, man. You know, I'm I'm with Chris. I think the bullshit interview him. They probably won't. But I, you know, I think at some point he'll be on the team in some capacity, either as a GM or a head coach. All right, man. It's time for our favorite segment where we get to throw a little truth or trash out there, depending upon the topic. I'm gonna give these guys a topic and they tell me whether or not it's truth or trash. If you've been under a rock. We're here to let you know that the Brooklyn Nets have a new head coach. That head coach is Hall of Fame point guard, assumed to be Hall of Fame point guard, Steve Nash. He was in connection with the Golden State Warriors while KD was there as a consultant. Uh, used to work out with KD. Also has a relationship, established relationship with Kyrie Irving. So that is the connection. Uh, GM Sean Marks admitted that KD and Kyrie on the Woj pod, they were both uh, very involved with the decision to bring Steve Nash on board. And we all knew that whoever the coach is going to be, Katie and Kyrie were going to have to push that button. Yeah. We knew that was going to have to be the place. Of course, Brooklyn, uh, they lost to Toronto in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, we see Karis LeVert developed into a go-to guy for that young team during the bubble and uh, played very well during the bubble. So that's possibly a third piece. Uh, famously, uh, Kyrie talked about it during the season or early in the season that they don't have enough pieces right now. And that's what Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert on the roster, which I'm not sure that, that teammates took that well. But I guess coming from a championship pedigree in Cleveland, Kyrie feels like he knows what's needed to, in order to win a championship. But very interesting. I'm going to play two clips for you guys. Stephen A. Smith looking at this situation and looking at the hiring he was worried and very vocal about the hiring of steve nash to the brooklyn nets as their head coach being an example of white privilege in the nba when i'm talking about white privilege my apologies to steve nash because it's not his fault good luck i think he's gonna do a great job i'm happy for him because he's a good dude Sean Marks, I think, is doing an exceptional job in Brooklyn. I wish him nothing but the best. But when I'm talking about white privilege, I am simply saying 
this man with no coaching resume whatsoever gets his first job as a coach in the media capital of the world coaching a championship-ready squad led by one of the greatest players in the history of basketball in Kevin Durant and an absolute showstopper who is a box office attraction in Kyrie Irving, who happened to be the two preeminent voices on that squad who completely okayed bringing him on. Who are the brothers that were interviewed? Even if you don't hire them, can we know who they are? Did you talk to Ty Lue? Did you talk to Mark Jackson, who starred at Bishop Lachlan in high school, which is in Brooklyn, who starred at St. John's as a rookie? I'm sorry, who starred at St. John's University and then came to the Knicks as a rookie of the year? Who's a Queens native? O'Connell Park. Look it up. Did you talk to him? Did you ask? All right, how about Sam Cassell? How about, listen, Bob McAdoo is a name. I mean, if we want to be fair, the brother's only been an assistant coach on Pat Riley's staff forever, and he's been in the league as an assistant coach forever, and the only interview he's ever gotten was from the Philadelphia 76ers. But Steve Nash, who we didn't even know was interested in coaching, we didn't even know he was interested in coaching until recently, didn't even have to lobby for the job, and he gets, caught, he gets picked as the head coach. My point about white privilege Tell me the black man that that would happen for. Uh, strong comments from Stephen A. Smith. I'm just going to ask you guys flat out, truth or trash is what he said, a reality in connection with the hiring of Steve Nash. I mean, it's not about, I mean, just like everything else in life, it's not about what you know, it's who you know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, look, Steve Nash on that team is a, I mean, I can't even front, like, it's a, it, it's a it's a polarizing pick, you know what I'm saying? You're gonna watch Brooklyn because they got Steve Nash, they got Kyrie, uh, Kyrie Irving, and they got Kevin Durant. That's gonna get people talking, and that's gonna keep the light on Brooklyn. It's right. a smart move, you know. It doesn't obviously they have to win and stuff like that in the process, but if you're trying to you know get your franchise and your team you know into some some form of relevance in the East with two of the uh, you know with two of the biggest players in the game then yeah you go and get a steve nash because that you know people are going they're going to be interested in that so you know i after thinking about it like i get what Stephen a smith is saying i totally understand it but i mean it's just like head coaching and um you know in the nfl man like there's certain guys that they want in certain spots and head coaches one of those things it's just like quarterback you know what i'm saying same thing applies see for truth or trash um I mean, like you said, because I, I the first when I saw that clip, the first player that I thought about who had a similar experience was Jay Kidd. Right after you know retiring from a player, you know he's coaching. So, um, coaching Brooklyn. As a matter of fact, yeah. Now that I think about it, yeah. So that's it's kind of crazy. It's just how how it worked works out again. I mean, I think it was more so surprising that nobody thought Steve Nash had any interest in coaching because we haven't really heard much from Steve Nash as opposed just the last few years other than, you know, him working on a consultant basis with the Golden State War uh, Warriors and working primarily with KD. So um, it's one of those situations that, you know, having, fr having friends in high places uh, is going to be interesting to see just from a going from like a uh, consultant slash friend to now like an authority figure. Mm. You know, that's going to be like the adjustment. And 
but I do think he helps. He'll be able to help Kyrie get to look at things a lot differently. I think Kyrie will respect him, obviously, for because I'm pretty sure, like, if you're an NBA player and you're running any type of pick and roll, you, you're a fan of Steve Nash or you watch tape of Steve Nash. You've been given film of Steve Nash to watch, you know, how he directs things in the pick and roll. So a very interesting uh, selection. I'm curious to see, you know, how it works. Uh, four-year deal right off the bat. It's kind of interesting to me also. But, yeah, I'm excited for it. I mean, I think Brooklyn has, like, a lot of options to make, um, like probably this off season. I think Joe Harris is going to be up for an extension. What do they do with him? What do they do with um, Dinwiddie, who's also there? But I mean, going going into next season, I mean, they're going to be one of the favorites in the East to you know contend for a title. You get a healthy KD back, Kyrie there. You got a DeAndre Jordan there. So I mean, it'll, it'll bring some excitement there. I mean. Bad part is if you're in New York, nobody's going to be talking about the Knicks next year at all. Once again, all right. In connection with that, I think one of the most important things he said that I really want to get your your thoughts on is he went on to say that he feels like in the league where black athletes have the most leverage, they refuse to use it to speak up, but black coaches being hired. This is Stephen A. Smith once again. Steve Nash, what's he supposed to do? Turn the job down? Of course not. I'm not blaming them. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about us in this time of social justice where white folks are sitting there telling us, we listen, we're listening. We hear you. Well, this is what you need to hear because people weren't protesting in the streets just because black men who were unarmed were getting shot by police officers. They brought up systemic racism, systemic prejudice, meaning a system that flagrantly favors one segment of our society more than a disenfranchised community and how it's been going on for centuries and it never seems to stop. This is the latest example of something that happens for white folks that would never happen for black folks. If you want to sit up there and point to Steve Nash or Sean Marks, you're missing the boat. It's not about them. It's about a system. And I'm looking at two brothers who are socially conscious, who care about us voting, who cares about racial oppression, racial inequality, and the civil unrest that has existed in this country. I'm seeing two brothers that had the opportunity to at least influence it somewhat in Brooklyn, New York, in KD and Kyrie. No, hi, Steve Nash. Go ahead. How about interviewing a few brothers and giving them an opportunity to get some shine? Therefore, they might be a prime candidate for the Philly job or the New Orleans Pelicans job or some other job like that. It would have been nice. It didn't happen. That is what I mean when I say white privilege. I never even thought about that point. And I think I was... Uh... BC and I, we were part of a text thread with our good friend Lee Davis, and he was telling us that that was something he had been waiting for someone to say for the longest. As much leverage as these athletes have in the NBA to be able to be a part of and to be able to push the button on hiring coaches in the NBA, do you think they drop the ball when it comes to them speaking up for black coaches and black candidates? I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I think it's giving them a little bit too much credit or, you know, a little bit too much power when it comes to certain things. I mean, they don't 
they don't really have a say in, in, in who gets to come in and coach the team. They just don't. You know, they can make a suggestion. Um, they probably got more leverage in getting somebody fired than getting somebody hired. Um, but, I mean, they, like I said, they can make a suggestion. You know, they could, you know, put some names out there. But this is a very unique situation. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, obviously, you know, like you said earlier, they had to kind of sign off on this. But, I mean, you know, even if it would have said somebody like Ame Adoka or, you know, anybody else, just because they push for them doesn't mean that person don't get the job. You know, whoever Sean Marks wants in there is who he's going to put in there. So, you know, and in that respect, players have a lot of leverage in terms of, you know, if they want to change teams, how much salary they command. But they have absolutely no say, in my opinion, on who gets a head coaching job. And this just happens to be a unique situation. Yeah, and I think um, he's a little bit, Stephen A. just so also a little bit upset that, you know, if there were other candidates that, you know, got to interview for the job, you know, who are those candidates? What are their names? You know, that would have been helpful to know as opposed to, you know, Steve Nash just being like just out the blue, like, hey, Steve Nash is our new coach. Um, so, yeah, but just in terms of like players using their voice to advocate for um like the coach black coaches it's kind of twofold because i look at it in a situation where like superstars influence have that type of influence like you'll go to lebron hey who do you think should coach i mean and even then are you going to tell me that frank vogel was lebron's lebron was he at the front of lebron's list in terms of coaching or was it just like hey we're going to bring him on we'll get you know such and such as an assistant but we want to bring Frank Vogel in here. So it goes back to BC. I mean, these are owners, really, they have the final say-so. And in terms of, like, superstars, how many true superstars are there in the league to where you're going to go to them and say, who do you want Who do you want to be coached by? And I think a lot, of, a lot of it falls under, like, I don't think too many guys want to be coached hard at all. Yeah. You don't want to be coached by somebody that possibly has been in the same situations that you and he can tell you like, no, you need to do it this way. A lot of guys don't like to be coached hard. So that could have something to do with it at all. But um just in terms of players using their influence to sway like the selection of black coaches, I don't think they have that much power at the end of the day. I mean, just because you know they're not the one signing off on that you can just go to them and ask their opinion but at the end of the day you know it's ownership it's gms they're going to make the decision all right once again the podcast according to sources got my guys chris case and brian crawford you can go to spotify right now any streaming itunes subscribe to us soundcloud you can get previous podcasts you can also go to my facebook page sean marcel davis and you can have the archive videos from the past three podcasts that were incredible i'm telling you, we're getting a lot of feedback people liking what we're doing and we thank you for supporting us once again instagram and twitter you can follow us a2s pod one that's at a2s pod one follow us on instagram and twitter so before we let uh we get out of here, man. What's what's the flavor in your ear this week? What's the flavor in your ear? BC, I know you're listening to that Detroit too, dog. No, you know I'm not doing. I, I know you listen no to it. I know, I know that's your boy. That's your boy. Yeah, I ain't heard a song <laughs> off of that. I, I, I don't plan on it. Uh, what have I been listening to? 
I ain't been listening to much, really. Nah, this week I ain't been listening to much. I still think I'm listening to that Nas a little bit. I'm still playing that song. That's it, but I ain't really been listening to too much. Flavin' Year, C4? Um, definitely still listening to um, that Nas. What else have I listened to this week? I heard a little bit of uh, D- Detroit, too. I mean, the crazy part about the Big Sean thing is I think he's a talented rapper. I've never been able to, like, listen to a project for that long just because it sounds like – I don't know. It's probably his delivery that does it for me. He always sounds like he's just a guy that's just – Talking, you know, over his beats. I mean, but but that doesn't take away that you know. I think he's a good rapper. Um, went back. I probably listened to like Slauson Boy too a lot this week. So yeah, haven't nothing else outside of that. Yeah, for me it was a a heavy tribe week early in the week, uh, especially low end theory. Got into that a lot because I ran into the uh, documentary on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just inspired me to go back and listen to uh, uh, Low End Theory and the rest of their stuff. And then uh, Friday, I did check out the Detroit. I was on the phone with I got Jerry Payton. Of course, he's a big Sean fan. But that I will say the Friday Night Cypher joint, I enjoyed with all of the Detroit rappers on there doing a 10-minute song. And uh, I'm going to predict that a lot of other cities are going to try to copy that. And we're going to start to see a lot of Friday Night Cyphers from different cities. I thought that was pretty dope. And uh, the way they flipped the uh, we're going to make it beat for that cypher and also the clips beat, I thought was pretty amazing. So there we go. That's the flavor in our ear. One song I listened to on there. Yeah. Uh, that's the flavor in our ear. And we'll get out of here, man. For my guy C4, Chris Kaysen, follow him. My guy Brian Crawford, be under Craw 4 and D. Man, we appreciate you guys, and we'll see you guys next Saturday. We'll talk a little bit more NBA playoffs, and maybe we'll have a head coach for the Chicago Bulls. Who knows? <laughs> the podcast according to sources, man. As always, man, three dudes from the game. I love the game. I'm talking about the game. Talk to you next week.